0: morning, everybody. My name's Chad. I will be your pastor for today. If you don't know me, I'm Chad. And uh, welcome to Pleasant Valley. If you're first time, 100th time, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for uh, doing the thing that we're all doing with the COVID stuff and masks and social distancing. It's helping us to stay safe and to make it through this season, which is a crazy season. We know that. I also want to say hey to everybody online. Um, we're glad that you're with us as well. I'd like to pray again, if that's all right. I always like to ask the Lord to do what I can't. So let's do it. Lord, thank you for uh, your holiness. Lord, thank you that, um, I love Daniel's words there, Lord, that they're, nobody's bored, uh, even though that is on repeat. Um, scripture tells us that angels are before you. And I've heard it said that um They continue to say holy because every moment is a new understanding, a new revelation of who you are. And Lord, that's comforting to know for us as well, that we won't be in heaven thinking, ah, I've seen it all, I want to move on. It will be new. Lord, we will never reach, even begin to reach the end of who you are. As the hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. So we are here though and needing a glimpse, needing to see a picture of who you are, of our place in your story of redemption and how that all fits in with 2020 and the things that we're facing today. And Lord, those things are both big and small, uh, both public and very personal. And Lord, I know we've been looking out on this room. There are some who are grieving today who have lost, and Lord, you see them. You see their hurt and their hearts this morning, and you care about them, Lord. And there are those, Lord, who are wondering when you're gonna answer, and when you're going to step into their real problems. They wanna know if you love them. God, you see them. There are some here this morning who wonder if you are even real, or if it's just Um, Stories that have been embellished and to help us feel good about ourselves and where we are. So God, all of the different places, we know you can meet us. We know that's why we have your word. That's why we have your spirit. That's why we gather. Lord, it's why, honestly, why we don't want to do church virtually for a long time because we know we need to gather. I mean, it's part of... Being the body of Christ, we need each other. We need your Spirit at work among us. And so, would you work and would you move in our midst this morning? And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter four today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open that up. Uh, if it's your phone, I want to see the glow of God's Word on your face. Um, so get that ready. But. As we're starting, first I wanna say that I love history, but that has not always been the case. I was that kid in the classroom, yes, that one, that uh, needed extra attention to get me to calm down. And when it came to a teacher who, you know, doing history class or later on when it was official history class in college, it was a lot of dates, a lot of maps and very thick, textbooks. And why do they make textbooks with thinner paper and smaller words? Because reading one page is like reading five, isn't it? And so you're like, only have one page left. And in your heart of hearts, you know, it's more like five to seven, especially as you pause in between, you get bored, you do this, you lose your place. What did I just read? I don't know. But I was that kid. I, I struggled to love it. I struggled to be connected to it because it, I didn't feel like it was about me and not in a narcissistic way, but it just, I struggled. There was one thing though that could draw me in and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But first I wanna tell you about my Aunt Jean and Uncle Herbert. Yes, I'm from the South and yes, we say aunt, not aunt. Um, I'm sorry, it's hard for me. Every once in a while I catch myself and we definitely catch our daughter saying aunt and we say, no, it's aunt. Um, But uh, my Aunt Jean and Uncle Herbert, were the, they got the joy of having me when my sisters got to go to my grandparents' house, my parents were gonna go away because my Aunt Jean could handle me. She knew how to wield whatever, weapons of authority and those things that kept me in line. But it was also super fun to go to Aunt Jean's house. It's old house, lots of antiques, lots of things. Don't touch that, okay. You know, but there were other things that she said for sure, just go to town though go down there and look. And they had this basement and I got to go out to eat at Aunt Jean's and that's the key to my heart right there, food. Let's go. Um, And so always great food. Aunt Jean and Uncle Herbert had a huge king-sized bed. Pretty much after dinner, they would go up and get in their bed and their little dog, Dolly, that was one of those dogs that has nose problems, you know, like jump up there, be in bed. And they'd say, come on, Chad. And so I would, as a little kid, get tucked in, in between my Uncle Herbert and Aunt Jean, and we would watch MASH. And that was, it was just great memories. I loved being there with them. But then Uncle Herbert would go to work. He's an accountant. And Aunt Jean had several businesses. And so she would let me go down into the basement. And it was awesome. There were cool things on the walls. There were little rooms with just lots of stuff to explore. There was a player piano and which she would load up the paper music and go in there and it would play these old songs and i would put my hands on the keys as it played and try to act like i was playing i'm just down there by myself she had a jukebox which i didn't have to put money in you could just play as many songs as you want one of the songs was red rubber ball i just remember that over and over i play it over and over again Big Red, Big John, Big Bad John, like all those songs like that's Those are the ones that were in the jukebox and I'd play those over and over. And then there were moments, and this was the form that was the history, the type of history that would draw me in. I would see, I would catch the corner of an old picture poking out of a box and I would grab it and look at it and and pictures of my grandfather whom I had never met. He died when my mom was four. He fought in World War II. He was D-Day plus six. So in Normandy, I have pictures of him in France with other soldiers and I'm, I'm drawn in. My uncle Herbert had done, he was a Marine in the big red one and he did three first wave invasions in the Pacific. Usually you didn't survive one of those. And so here's a picture of my uncle Herbert. He's in shorts, he's got his shirt off and he's holding a machine gun. Well, hey, as a little boy, He's like in Papua New Guinea or something like that. I'm like, what is this about? And what drew me in was that it was connected to me. It was my history. These were my family members in high stakes, war and the world on fire. And so then it's not a dry textbook. It's not somebody trying to get me interested in memorizing dates. I'm hooked. Today's story has the potential, if you're willing to walk through some dark basement corners, to be that for you. Luke wants it to be that for you. He wants to take you there in the story. It should be that for us, but there's a problem. And here's the problem I run into, I still run into. It's the, I've already read this story problem. Or, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I know this line. I know what happens. Or the, what does this have to do with me? This is old stuff. Or this is just narrative filler. It's one of those stories that's kind of tucked in before we get to the real stuff. Before we get to Jesus doing miracles and showdowns with Pharisees and, you know, crucifixion, resurrection. This is just the like intro stuff. And that's my problem. I think this is just an introduction. This is this temptation of Christ out there with, with the devil. But I've always kind of seen it as like, yeah, it's a prelude. It's like that intro. Everybody's still coming in. It's okay if you miss this part. But what's cool, and this is why I encourage you to be in God's word, to have your own share time. As I stopped and I listened to the Holy Spirit and asked him, show me again, show me what I need to see here. The questions start to come. And if you're listening to God, if you're in his word and you start having questions, it's a good sign. It's a good sign if you start asking him questions. So here's the question I asked when I was reading Luke chapter four, which we're gonna read in just a second. I asked this, who told this story to the disciples? Who gave the details about the devil showing up? Who was the one to say, this is what it was like? Sunday school answer, who told them? Jesus did. Probably sitting around the fire, maybe a moment where somebody was passing around some bread. The bread came to him. He held it for a moment. He passed it and he said, let me tell you about a time when I didn't have bread for 40 days. Whoa, I can't go 40 minutes without bread. (laughs) No, I can. But do you know what I'm saying? Like one day without food, a couple of meals skipped. It's tough, you know you're going to get to this like maybe 11, 20 or so. You're going to be like, dude, huh, Cadoba's waiting or whatever. Like, come on. Um, 40 days. Jesus passed on this story. And before we, before I tell you too much about what he was trying to say to them as he tells this story, let's read just the first two verses. Let's jump in. Let's see if the picture will poke out of the corner of the basement of our hearts for us and if we might take the bait and grab on. Luke chapter 4, verse one, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. We haven't seen much of him in most of the Bible. Very beginning, we saw him here and there, but most of the time he has been hidden. Now he's in view tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, surprise, surprise, he was hungry. Just like you'll be hungry at the end of this sermon. So as Jesus relayed this story, there's something you can always count on when Jesus says something or when Jesus tells a story or when he includes something in the written word of God. None of it is filler. None of it is like, well, you can forget this part of the story, but let me say it anyway because I can. No, every sentence, every moment of clarity, every comma, every period, every pause, it's all there on purpose. He is intentional when he says something to us. It's part of his mission to save you and me. No wasted words. If he talked about it, it was crucial for us to hear so he spoke about being led into the wilderness, just a couple of the things we can just see right on the surface. 40 days without food, bad times. We have a visitor who we haven't seen in a long time, the devil himself, and as we all know, the devil is truly in the details here. He's going after the son of God, picking a fight, a battle. This is happening in private, not in public. Nobody else is witnessing this. Jesus is by himself before he does anything public. Can you see the picture? What are we looking at? Is this just a rite of passage for the Son of God? We know Jesus grew up in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and men. Is this just part of him growing up and then he's going to start the real stuff? Or is this the real stuff? Those are questions we want to ask. If you're able to see it and feel it, it's really important to feel it. Luke is showing you a family picture, your family picture. Somebody in your past who went to war, tucked in a basement box. It's not disconnected from you. It's your family. It's your history. Now, maybe you only catch a glimpse of the corner of that old black and white photo. The paper's yellowed and the edges are tattered. But if you look closely, what will you see? So 40 days without food. So let's just do day 21, somewhere in the middle. Definitely the effects of not eating. It's happening to Jesus' physical body. It's got to be messing with him mentally. What happens when you don't eat? You think about food, (laughs) right? Like if ever I've done any fasting, I'm terrible at fasting. terrible. It's like supposed to be this spiritual thing where you're like focused on Jesus. You know what I'm focused on? Food. I'm focused on food when I fast. I wish I was better at it. And so I rarely do it, but... So Jesus is definitely in that moment. day 21, dry, windswept, cracked wilderness floor. You hear the labored steps of Jesus. He doesn't move quickly. He's slow, yet deliberate as he takes steps. His sandals drag a little bit in the dust because he's lost a lot of strength. He moves through rocky crags and over steep ravines, carefully grabbing hold of the canyon walls to steady himself because he's weak. You see his face. The sun has tightened and darkened his skin. His eyes are wincing against the dry air and bright sunlight. His lips are cracked with dried blood. But in that weathered face, you see something else. Determination, resolve. A man set on his mission. He's committed. He's motivated. He is a stalwart of courage and bravery. He is no doubt a warrior. We know from the Old Testament he's the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts, but he's also a friend. Can you see that picture? Is that what you see when you look and you see Jesus in the wilderness being tempted? Just a moment, just a snapshot, but a picture connected to you. If you're like me as a boy in my Aunt Jean's basement looking at those pictures of my family living in a different time, a difficult time, World War II, where the stakes were enormous, where my grandfather said goodbye to my grandmother for four years. Think about that. Four years. I'll see you in four. Or maybe not. The stakes were that high where they knew we may not see each other again. If we can feel that as we look at this picture, we might just be drawn into the reality and truth of this moment where we'll start asking questions like, what's really happening here? What's this all about, Jesus? What are you doing out there by yourself with the devil? Why were you out there in the wilderness? I think Jesus loves questions. I think he would say, good question, good question. In the passage today, if we're just answering physically, what's his physical locale? We would say he's a time period, first century Israel, He's just outside of Jerusalem in the Judean wilderness, but in the spirit and knowing what we know about the gospel plan for humanity, we would say Jesus is behind enemy lines. And I picked this picture on on purpose. It's Auschwitz because I think it represents what it meant for Jesus to come to earth. We are held captive by sin and death, an enemy that is bent on destroying us. He wants you dead, no doubt. That is his plan for your life. Keep you from the knowledge of Jesus and the gospel and lead you into every manner of destruction and being about yourself and all the stuff of the world away from God. That's his plan. That's the barbed wires. That is the captive place. And Jesus goes and invades behind enemy lines. Now, how do I know that's what this story is? Well, if you look back to chapter three, the last verse, it finishes the genealogy by saying, Jesus, all these names, all the way to Adam, the son of God. The genealogy takes you from Jesus' birth all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the first Adam, because the New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. Why is he the second Adam? Because the first Adam didn't do so well. He didn't make it. We needed him to come and do it right. So we move into this passage with that story kind of in the back of our minds in this new story. And we have now Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And we say, hey, back here in uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was being tempted by the devil. Hmm, do you think it's coincidence? Or do you think God knows what he's doing and knows that that was the moment that everything happened? That was the moment Adam was in the garden, tempted, took the bite, heard round the spiritual world, plunging us all into darkness. What will the second Adam do? How will he fare? 40 days also sounds familiar. You know 40 in the Bible? Seen that? God loves to use numbers. He loves to mess around with things like that. 40 days and nights, the flood, which also happened to be about judgment and sin. How about the Israelites? What had they just come out of? Exodus, away from captivity and bondage in Egypt. And then they messed up and they have to stay in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. Yeah. So very intentional what God is doing here. The more we look, the more we listen, the more we pull that picture out of the box and connect our hearts to that that is our family picture we will see this absolutely has to do with the eternal plan of salvation. It's connected to the Old Testament. With the pastors this week, we were doing, uh, we're working through, there's like several of us that are working towards ordination in the free church. And so we're studying what in the free church are, are articles of faith. And so article two has to do with the Bible. And one of the things we talked about this week and just a picture God gave me was if you pull on a thread in the Bible... If you pull on the thread of Luke chapter 4 and you start yanking at it just trying to say no I want to I just want to see this story not connected to everything you know what happens the whole fabric of scripture goes Wah. you are pulling from Genesis you are pulling from eternity past when you pull on Luke chapter 4 it's all connected God knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus is behind enemy lines. This plan has been in place before the foundation of the world. This isn't some ceremonial rite of passage for Jesus growing up. This is the first battle. This is the first encounter with the enemy. Jesus has been undercover. He's been preparing, he's been planning, he's been waiting, but now he has jumped into the dark, into the fray. He is alone and facing a hardened enemy who has been dug in for centuries. This is his turf. He owns it. And Jesus just hit the beach. Let's continue to look at the picture. Verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time to just, Do a little quick interpretation in your mind. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What was included in that moment? 2020. America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Russia, Korea, all of it included in that moment. All the governments of the world, everything. Jesus sees it and Satan says, hey, I'll give you this. I'll give you all this. Very important clause in here though. It has been delivered to me. Hmm. Not something he owns outright. It's been given to me. I I can give it to you. All you got to do is worship me. It will be yours. Jesus answered him. It is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only shall you serve. So then he takes him to Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. Josephus writes about this pinnacle that if you stood at the edge, it's one of those where you got dizzy. It was so high. Took him up there and said, Throw yourself down. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. That same phrase again. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Wow, Satan really knows the Bible. Jesus answered him. Did you know that Satan was a worship leader? He was the worship leader in heaven. He knows the Bible. He knows it better than you do. Don't forget that. Jesus answered him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If this passage is about warfare, it is, and specifically about spiritual warfare, it is, I will be straight with you to say that it makes me sweat. I am super uncomfortable with the topic of spiritual warfare. I believe it, Ephesians 6 We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we sure do argue like we do, believe it is flesh and blood, right? We think it's flesh and blood. That's how we act, that's how we live, it's flesh and blood. That's how we fight, it's always flesh and blood. Oh yeah, yeah, spiritual battle, but. No, we believe it's flesh and blood. But the Lord says, no, it's not. It's actually against, and listen to this list. Didn't know if you knew this was kind of how things work, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, Over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, now, that's quite a list. It's Paul writing, but that is uh, with the Holy Spirit. There's a battle going on. So, how do I feel about spiritual warfare? I feel, no, I know, unprepared. How do we fight? Forget the devil. I would just struggle with the no food part of this scenario. You know, one day I'm like, the devil's not even here yet. I'm just hungry, Lord. Now, this is the way my mind works. And sometimes it helps to kind of start with a low level connection, maybe one that's not perfect in its connection, but we think about battle and we don't understand it. I'll say that. I don't understand it. I've never been in a real combat situation, Um, but we like to assign it to things in life like football. We're going to war. We're going to win this game. And I'm all about that too. I played football in high school and I remember those pep talks and stuff, you know, like using kind of combat terms and language to get ourselves pumped up. But usually when you talk to people that have been to real battle, first of all, they don't want to talk about it. That's the first thing you know. Second, if you get them to talk about it, they usually say, it's not, not anything like I thought. That's usually what happens. But just for kind of sake of illustration and to move us into kind of how my mind works when I think about this stuff and I'm thinking about being motivated, you know, I could get myself revved up for a game. I played football and soccer and I could be, I can do that. I can get fired up and I can fight hard when I'm playing. Now, listen, I love college football. I'm from Tennessee. I proudly cheer for the volunteers. Go Vols! That's how we say it down there. I know there are traditions here, gophers and badgers neither of which are my thing. Um, I live in Minnesota, which I thought meant you cheer for the Vikings. Boy, was I wrong. At least living down here, it's like, no way. It's like the, you know, the Super Bowl here when we have Vikings Packer game. So I love the wild, but my heart is really kept by the Vols. And the Vols played last night for the first time and reminded me just thinking about home turf home field advantage. So Nayland stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee is one of the worst places to play. If you were an opposing team at one point, when I was in high school, we had 107,000 seats of yelling rednecks. <laughs> and it, it was an, they said that other teams would say Nayland stadium is the worst place ever deafening so loud, you know, add alcohol and people who are mad about Tennessee losing and those kind of things. And man, it's a really bad place to play. But a, a striking home field advantage though, just crazy. So I thought about this and I know it's, it's inadequate and we're gonna go to another illustration, but I do think that in this sense and for what Satan has been enjoying for the last, I don't know, several thousand years, this is home turf. This is his place. Jesus has no fans, nobody with him. He has no team there's no band to cheer him on. He is alone. And yet sports analogies, while they fall inadequately short to describe battle, because here's why. If you lose in a sports game, what do you do? You go home. You do it you play again next week or you try again next season. In this kind of battle, if you lose, you could die. The stakes are extremely high. In fact, the highest that they could be when you look at Jesus here, they're they're truly life and death. In fact, the stakes are eternal life and not eternal death. Bible doesn't say that. Matthew 25 gives this parable, the story of sheep and goats and those who have followed the Lord and have said yes to what he's done and those who have rejected it. And it is some are sent to eternal life and others to eternal punishment, it's what we believe. It's what scripture says. It isn't like, I'm done. I guess I didn't follow Jesus. Oh, well, you know, no loss, no tremendous loss, <laughs> eternal punishment. That's what's at stake here for Jesus. This is no football game. This is no mere just contest. Let's see how it goes. This is the drop into enemy territory. You are witnessing the first battle for you, for me, for the whole world. You're seeing something else though, which is a battle plan, a battle strategy. And it's a strategy that has worked on every human being up until this moment, we'll see, with Jesus. As Satan begins his attack on Jesus, we learn all about enemy tactics. And I want to dig just for a little bit here, ask the question, how does Satan, our number one enemy who is at war with humanity, go about fighting us? What is his battle plan? How might you recognize the spiritual battle? What can we learn from what happened to Jesus that will give us instruction on recognizing it when it comes to us, maybe knowing how to fight, but mostly in recognizing that he had this battle. Let me say that again. This is not here to teach you necessarily. At a certain level, yes, there's some principles that we can gain. But what this passage is going to show us is that you are supposed to keep your eyes fixed on what Jesus does here. The outcome for Jesus fight, not, okay, Jesus is fighting and I got I to do a good job too. You are to keep your eyes fixed on him. We'll get into that a little bit more. We must learn about the enemy's tactics so that we can effectively refer back to this battle when we have our own. Okay? This battle is a key for us facing our own. So, Satan's approach is to use something kind of true. He uses scripture, he uses something that's close. Some of the most dangerous movements against Jesus Christ usually have Jesus Christ in their movement somehow. He's a part of it. He's, yeah, we like him, he's great. This is the thing, because we always we think that he's going to come to us in a red costume with fangs and a pitchfork and go, ah, I'm here to tempt you. It's not how he does it. He comes with truth and he twists it just a little bit. So what's Jesus need right here? Bread. He's hungry. He's without food. He needs bread. He's physically weak. So an obvious answer to fix this is just get some food. We have these moments, don't we? You ever responded to the Lord with, come on, Lord? Maybe that's just me. I have one of those at least a week. But you're in those moments of need. We just need to pay this bill. We just need this job to work out for once. Maybe have one stretch where we don't have a medical payment like a car payment. Right? Where we're always paying. Oh, look, there's another one. $500. Oh, well. Or maybe we're covid stops taking things away from my family and my kids. Lord, can't you just fix this need? Then things would be great. Satan jumps on that, but watch how he does it. If you were the son of God, is his approach. Not just if you're hungry, let's get you some food. If you were the son of God, you should be able to do something about this. It sounds very similar to the question in the garden. Did God really say, is he really that way? Will he really? If you are, can you do this? How interesting that this temptation also surrounds food. Adam and Eve, it was food. Here's Jesus. First thing is food. Satan isn't a dummy. It worked the last time. He's like, maybe it'll work on the new Adam. He thinks I have him where I want him. I got home field advantage. And so his question is very similar. If you're the son of God, are you really the son of God? So what's he doing? This is really important. He's testing Jesus' trust of his father. It's a very simple principle, but the thing is never really the thing. The thing you struggle with, the thing that is your temptation, the thing that is the sin, you think it's, no, I just gave in to that substance one more time. I just looked one more time at pornography. I just kind of had to have that money. I just had to pursue that. I just had to say that. The thing is never the thing. It's only the symptom of something else inside, lack of trust. Trusting that God is really for you. This is level one stuff from Satan too. Level one tactic, which he's really happy if he can get you with level one stuff. He hopes you're that easy. They basically say, you know what? I'm just gonna go for your needs, your wants, your, for food, provision, safety, health. If he can get you there, it's awesome. We should be ready to respond the way Jesus did, but more importantly, to throw back in the face of Satan the fact that Jesus fought the way he did. I've said this before. The only person you can tell to go to hell is Satan. Okay. And you can legitimately mean it because of what Christ has done. He has accomplished. So that's how we fight. And so how does Jesus deal with this? And remember, this is instructive for us not to say, okay, I got a copy and do exactly what Jesus said, put a formula in and this will cause whatever. Look at what he did for you and realize that it is the battle. How did he deal with it? He says, man shall not live on bread alone. Matthew gives us the finishing part of that statement and says, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that mean? It's not him saying, I don't need food because I have God's word. That's not what he's saying, okay? I had a friend when I was first a youth pastor, we had a strained relationship. He was also a youth pastor, And lots of petty fights over legalistic stuff. But one of the things he used to do was, we'd get up in the morning and he wouldn't even, he goes, I can't eat anything or even go to the bathroom until I spend time with the Lord. I'm like, what? That's just legalism. It's just like it's putting something in a little box and thinking, oh, it's this formula. Jesus isn't saying that. I don't need food because I have God's word. Here's what he's saying I'm not going to buy your lies that God doesn't care. My father doesn't care about my well-being, and choose to believe. I'm not gonna choose to believe that he isn't good or that I'm not his child or because I'm going through something difficult that he doesn't care for me. Here's the thing. I've already eaten the real bread, which means I will trust him when I have nothing. I will trust him when I have everything. Here's the key thing. Don't go rogue. Don't go on your own. That is Satan's main temptation to get you to say, I can't trust him. There's a movie I shared uh, a couple of months ago. Just came to my mind again as I was thinking about this. It's called The Gray with Liam Neeson. Um, one of those dark, crazy wolves chasing people kind of movies. That's ones I love. Um, anyway, so I'm watching this and they're all hunting him and he gets to this moment. He's an agnostic, maybe an atheist. He doesn't believe in God, anything. He's all about getting it done himself. In this moment right towards the end of the movie where all these wolves are like on him and it looks like he's gonna die. He stops, camera zooms in on his face. He looks up to heaven and he goes in the way only that Liam Neeson can. I'm asking you, if you're real, help me. It's like 10 seconds. He bleeps off some curse word and he goes, I'll do it myself. That is the temptation. With the bread. It's to say, don't trust him. You can't, he can't be trusted. Oh, look, something happened in your life again. He can't be trusted. Jesus says, No, I will trust his word that says he cares for me, he loves me, has plans for me, that probably include this little test. He responds with the word of God, but it's not just quoting the Bible. He knows it. He really knows it. How many of us actually do that? It's supposed to be a sword, but most of us keep it on a shelf. It's a sword, even if we have it, maybe we believe enough in it to carry it around, but it's kind of in a sheath. It's not used. Stuck in some spiritual closet, a weapon that was once used in battle. Or is it well used in your life? Is the handle of the sword well worn with your hand? the mold of your hand because you've held it so much? Do you know what it feels like to hold it in your hand, the weight of it, to move it with precision, how to strike, when to strike, how to block and parry when there's an oncoming attack? Do you know what it feels like with the impact when you actually strike back the enemy trying to fight you? Or is it altogether unfamiliar and odd? A strange thing from another time that you don't know what to do with. The old illustration was, it's a dusty Bible. The new one is, it's the app that gets stored in the cloud because you never use it. What is it for you? It's interesting to me that Jesus, the son of God, who we know can and will do miracles, he can summon angels. He could call a million angels at this moment to basically drive away Satan He can create worlds by his very voice. Isn't it crazy to think, we always think it's like real focused in on like, man, it must've been super hard to create like this, the Grand Canyon and the ecosystem for the oceans and all that kind of stuff like that. But he was also just being like this, Jupiter, Pluto, planet, whatever, maybe. Like he just said it. He can do that. He can just speak. Like he could speak and have a planet fall on Satan right then. He can touch people and heal them. Reform their body to be healed. We know in the future here, we'll see in the gospel that people who come to him with weapons and armies and standing in front of him, and we're going to take you captive. And they ask him, what's your name? Are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And they all go, they all fall on their backs. And then he says, now you can arrest me. He can do all of that, but it's interesting to me that in this moment, he doesn't use any of that. This is the first battle. Don't you want to put on a good fight, the first battle? Don't you want to show your best stuff when you do battle with the enemy? And he says, yeah, that's why I'm using scripture. That's why I'm using the word of God. So let's briefly look at the other two approaches. And I want to encourage you just, if you're looking for somewhere in your own chair time to jump in, open Luke chapter four. Look at these tests from the enemy. Look at these attacks. See if they line up with anything that's happening in your life. But the other two approaches are this. All of them are designed to get you to give in to self, to become independent of God, to say yes to you and no to trusting his plan. So his second tactic is to fool you into thinking he's in charge to thinking that this is really all his. His role has been granted. It is temporary. He shows Jesus the world and says, bow down to me if I, and I will give it to you. But what he offers Jesus, he doesn't have any authority to give. It's not his. He tries it anyway. Worship me and I will give this to you, Jesus. Fame, authority, power, status. You can be an influencer on Instagram, Jesus. I can give you that. It's a much better path to getting your message across, your gospel, your kingdom of God stuff. Don't you want to get it? Don't you think it would be better if we do it this way? People accept it more. Instead, you're going to go this dusty, small town way. Jesus doesn't buy it, but it is tempting. The most sobering part of this one for me is not that we all can expect this week to have a conversation with the devil and him say, I'll give you fame if you just bow down and worship me. Oh, really? Like, you're not gonna have that conversation, but a lifetime pursuing the stuff that he offers, the stuff that he mentions, you may not think is bowing down to Satan, but scripture indicates otherwise. To reject Jesus as the King of Kings is to continue to bow the knee to the one who has been granted temporary rule and reign. There is no middle. There is no, oh, I'm not in this game. You're either with Jesus or against him, which means to be against him is to be bowing the knee to Satan. His final t- tactic is to tempt you to test the limits of God's grace, love, and protection. Probably not gonna be a situation where you were on a tall building somewhere and the enemy is saying, go ahead, do it. We'll see if the Lord will catch you. But how about this? Instead of jumping off of a building, what if I just test God's grace and forgiveness by not giving a rip about sin? What if I just decide there's grace? I'm just going to keep on sinning. He'll forgive me, right? He loves me, right? Jesus says that's not how it works. Do not test the Lord. So we look at all of this and you may think, okay, taking notes, I need to fight better next time. I gotta not take my eyes off Jesus. I need to know the scripture. What's this really about? Lord, what is, where is all of this headed? How does it end? So look at our last verse. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what does that mean? he's coming back. He's not going to stop. He will take every opportunity to fight you. So we might think, oh, there it is. That, that's, that's just it, right? I just need to like fight Satan with Bible verses and he's going to leave. No, that's not the point of this passage. That's not what God wants us to see in this thing of just like, ooh, look at Jesus, the model. You know, he's fighting well. Let's just learn to do that. Now, do we need to respond with scripture? Yes. Do we need to fight with scripture? Yes. But what does this tell me about Satan and his plan for me? And I can hear his raspy voice and smell his foul breath as he says, this isn't over. This will increase in intensity and frequency. I will not give up. I own them. I own them, Jesus. This is my world. He won't stop unless someone stops him. What's really amazing to understand is that Satan is actually falling into God's plan here, he's being trapped. Jesus in the wilderness is the bait and Satan is following right along. We forget he's a created being. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. So if you keep thinking, oh, the devil made me do it, guess what? He can be one place at a time. And so I don't know how important your life is. And if you really are the one that he's after, that doesn't mean that there aren't millions of demons and demonic forces and principalities. And those things are happening. But this whole notion of like, nope, it was Satan. I know it was him. I saw the horns, like probably not true, but he's not omniscient. He's not all powerful. He's a created being. He is messing with the one who created him. Any action that he takes is permitted. He's on a leash. You're watching Satan on a leash here. How do I know that? Bible. Job is a great book to look at in scripture to see this at play. He is invited into the throne room. He can't just show up. He's not allowed. He can't just say, hey, I'm I'm here. Just come talking around. He gets invited into the throne room. God speaks with him and says, hey, what do you think about my boy Job? And I've said this before, but I bet Job was like, shh, don't do that. He's granted permission with boundaries to afflict Job. So Satan thinks he's been biding his time for the last however many thousand years, waiting for a moment to strike. He is actually being led right into the gospel plan set before the foundation of the world. Now, why is this important? Let's just go on a personal level and we can do that. We always wanna know what the bigger picture is, but on a personal level, when you face temptations, trials, tests, and you will, I mean, 2020, come on, it's been permitted. It's being allowed by someone who knows the ending. And if it has been permitted by God for our growth and development as followers of Jesus or about to be followers of Jesus, then he will also provide a means for us to go through it without sinning. He will always provide a way for that to happen. Yes, this story is about spiritual warfare, temptation, responding and fighting well. And Jesus is very instructive on how we should do that. We need to know God's word. We need to learn how he's going to approach us. We need to know that it's going to be a regular thing in our life, but that is also not really what the primary lesson of this story is. It's not the main thing. The main thing is who is doing the fighting. Who is winning? For sure, who's attacking and how he does that, but who steps on to face him in that battlefield? where life and death meet face to face. This is round one. As you look at this picture, and I hope that as we've looked at the passage, maybe come out of the box a little bit more and you're starting to recognize some things and to say, hey, this is, this is my family. This is my history, my connection. As you start to look at it, what you should begin to say in the same way that I do when I, I have shown my kids, I've shown other people, I have things in my life to help me remember this in my office, but I'll show you a picture that I found in my aunt Jean's basement or that my grandmother gave me or that my mom gave me of my grandfather and those. And I'll say, these are my people. These are my people. Like they fought in very high stakes, world was ending type battles. It's my family. And so what you're supposed to do is you look at Luke chapter four is to say, that's my, that's my savior. That's my captain. This is my family. He's fighting for me. That's what's happening there. I wasn't there. I wasn't asked to face the enemy there. He's fighting for me. He doesn't just give me courage to fight so that maybe I can fight in the same way. Although he will, the spirit will empower us. But he fights on behalf of me to finish the fight, to finish it. Done, Not, oh, he did a good job, you better continue it to see if you can get to to heaven. So back to 2020. This is a test. It's a big, huge test. The Lord is allowing it. He's permitting it. He has even planned it in his sovereign, eternal will. He knows the ending. He created the players. He has all power He will provide a way for us to pass this test. And what is that way? You're seeing round one right here of the way for you to pass this test. Jesus invites you to look at this old picture, not solely for instruction about fighting and warfare and battle for your soul, but he demands that you listen because maybe you're one of those that doesn't even really think there's a battle going on. You're content to keep Jesus, the church, the Bible, Christianity at arm's length, not worry about getting too caught up in mythical or spiritual talk, because the real fight, Chad, is making money and a good job and surviving the election and COVID and the Supreme Court vacancy. That's the real fight, right? Jesus would say, (laughs) no, no, this is the real fight. And what he wants to know is, can you see that picture? Do you know it's your family? Do you know this is your history? And are you responding to him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for help. Thank you for your victory. What you have accomplished for us. And Lord, I also know that your word says we're still in this fight. And so God, it's, it's so good to watch you just own Satan you just own him he never even gets an inch Lord that's just beautiful that gives us confidence today gives us confidence to know Lord that you are the creator of the ends of the earth that you are our redeemer and our friend a warrior who has fought well for us and finished that fight Lord we face trial and temptation Lord not to see if we can survive the fight, but to see if we will cling to the one who already has won. We thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it has a way with your spirit to get down to those places that we don't want anybody else to get to. And that you, by your spirit, Lord, draw us, you convict us. You tell us to give up our sin pull us close. Lord, you speak words of wisdom and life. Your grace is poured out on us. We're thankful for that. As we spend this last moment here singing together, would your spirit work and move in our hearts? Christ's name, amen. Why don't we stand as we sing?